working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta. Thanks for checking out Working Drummer Podcast. Today's interview is with Justin Boyd, a Chicago native who has spent his entire career in that city. He's the second Chicago drummer to appear on the podcast, the first being Ed Breckenfeld on episode 84. The Chicago scene is one that I've been interested in for a long time, and this talk with Justin is a great audio tour of it. He has intentionally disregarded its racial, geographical, and musical barriers, so he has a unique perspective on those aspects of his hometown. Justin stays busy with many different types of projects, both as a leader and a sideman, is active as an educator with Chicago's all-city program, and recently went back to school earning a master's degree in composition from DePaul University. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. Please follow us on social media, share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and help us out by leaving a rating and review there. We'd also like to encourage you to visit our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash WorkingDrummer if you'd like to contribute a little money each month to help keep the podcast going strong. There are some great incentives there for donations at any level, including t-shirts and stickers, access to bonus content, a free lesson with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed on an episode of Working Drummer. You can donate as much or as little as you see fit, starting at $1 a month, and every donation at any level is greatly appreciated. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say, on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a, you know, kind of a double 45, and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that, and then the uh, batter side's going to be a little bit sharper, just so you get that nice snap out of the kick, but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone. You can also find a link to the new Sublime Birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer. In the near future, we've got much more to share in regard to Crush Drums and this dynamic company. For now, check out Crush Drums at crushdrum.com. So let's get to it with Justin Boyd. I hope you dig it. I went out of town this past weekend. I played with this this guy. Um, he's like a smooth jazz cat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played down in Texas hmm. for a private party in yeah. this guy's backyard. It was like amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Amazing in a so, good way. 
Oh yeah, it was like I couldn't believe that this was this dude's backyard. Some, some, sometimes those backyard gigs are, are amazing in in a not so good way. <laughs> oh no, this one was like he had a pool. He had like he had a backlined. Uh, I had a like a master's custom backlined. Yes, sir. And he had like uh, lights, full sound. It was like bananas. All, and it was only like sixty people at the party. Wow. Yeah. Was it so, his birthday yeah. or something? Man, he he said he just been ha- trying to have this party um, for like two years, and he saw the guy that I was playing with at the um, Napa Valley Jazz Fest. Oh, cool! I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> so he, and so he was like, he said he came up. My buddy said he came up to him, was like, hey man, we, I'm having this party. Uh, I've been waiting to throw it to find the right band. Uh, which you interested in doing it? And my buddy was like, "Yeah, sure." Huh. You know, people say that all the time, right? Because he like the guy like followed up, <laughs> and yeah, so it was great. Yeah, nice. so cool. Yeah, cool. but that entailed a lot of early mornings and all of that stuff. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is the who is the uh, jazz artist that you went there with? Oh, his, his name is Markwell Jordan, uh, Chicago-based guy. Yeah, yeah, he's from L.A., um, but he lives... You ever heard of Brian Culberson? Uh, yes. So he, he plays saxophone in his band. Okay. Uh, but he also has his own band, obviously, so then, uh, yeah. Right. So he's like a smooth guy or whatever, but he, he can play, he can sing, he plays mm-hmm. uh, tenor. Oh, cool. So yeah, it was, it was cool. Good, good. Yeah, it was real cool. Um, so you're the, uh, you're the second, uh, Chicago guy that, that we've interviewed on the podcast. The first was Ed Breckenfeld, maybe six months ago. I don't know if you know, Ed, um, yeah, I don't know. Ed. What, he, do you know what kind of stuff does he do? He's like a rock guy. He's been there for decades, um, and just played all kinds of rock music. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there are many, many circles to, to run in, in Chicago and, and you probably just never cross paths with him. Um, yeah, it, it's possible that I, was, we, we have a drum shop here, uh, mm-hmm. Vic's drum shop. Yeah. And it's like, guess where you see a lot of cats like at Vic's or at the Chicago drum exchange. Right. Right. So it's possible that I've probably saw him and just never, we never talked or I don't, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's probably one of those things where like, you'd know each other if you saw each other. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, 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 I saw that dude at the drum shop. Um, so I know, uh, Ed, Ed grew up in Chicago and you, you grew up in Chicago with the exception of high school, right? You were, you were mentioning earlier that you spent some high school years in the South. Yeah. So my dad lives in South Carolina. Oh, cool. And when I was a freshman, I, uh, went to go live with him and my stepmom. So I, I spent like my freshman and sophomore year in South Carolina. Um, I attended a high school uh, named Irma high school. It's like a small town outside of Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina. Uh, but we had a pretty good uh, music program. Um, it's actually a bunch of drummers that sort of went on to like do different stuff mm-hmm. from that. Area. Um, yeah, from from my school, like yeah. some guys that was on my line. Yeah, yeah. So one that's sort of big in the percussion world. His name is Brad Meyer. Have you ever heard, heard of him? I don't think so. He's like a classical dude. Um, mm-hmm. He teaches down in in Texas at a school, uh, but he presented at PASIC like two years ago, 
So, but my my school was very like uh, classical. It was a bunch of classical dudes. Right, right. Most most of them went on to go to UK to study with a uh, uh, James Campbell mm-hmm. and uh, do that thing. But I was, I mean, I love classical percussion. I yeah. mean, I love drums. Period. Yeah, yeah. But I was more into drum sets. So like, I I came back to Chicago and I was just like, well, I can start playing gigs like tomorrow. Right. You know what I'm saying on drum set. Right. So that was just like. But that's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna spend four years studying marimba. I mean, I mean, it's cool, but <laughs> man, I I did it. I spent I spent uh, shit nine years <laughs> studying marimba. Like between, yeah, you know, between high school and college and grad school, like I did I did the whole classical degree thing, um, and uh, you know, it's a it's it's a different path. But my my path of you know, like you came back around to drum set. It just took me a lot longer than you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, so yeah, I love, like, I still play, like, uh, I played a timpani gig. I played like three timpani gigs this year, which yeah, is I, like, there's a crazy. picture of you. I was looking at your website, and there's a picture of you playing timpani on there. I was like, for real, he's doing the, he's doing the, the orchestral thing. Huh? Yeah, so, so yeah, it's. I still enjoy it. Um, I just knew I would get more opportunities playing drum set. That right. was just like, yeah, clear. But I love it though, like. If somebody called me to play some orchestral stuff tomorrow, I would definitely stay up all night and try to prepare <laughs> and just try to go smash, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Just because it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, yeah. I still love it. Yeah. It was funny. About uh, six months ago, um, I got a call from a, like a, a composer, arranger guy who who needed some percussionists to do a session here in Atlanta. And, and he was like, do you have orchestral chops like experience? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did it. I was heavy into it for for a long time. And, and, uh, he was like, well, can you send me a video of like some Tiffany stuff or, and I, I had, I had nothing. I had no video of me playing any kind of classical instrument ever. Um, so I set up, I set up two floor toms in, in my little drum room <laughs> and, and got out my old Tiffany mallets. You know, I just uncased them and, and, you know, just got the, got the Rainer Carroll book out and videotaped a couple of etudes just between like two drums um, yeah. And, you know, they obviously didn't sound like timpani, but he could see that, like, I know how to play timpani. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the last time I had to dust off those chops, man. Um, yeah. So does does the, the influence of, of the South or Southern music or that that experience that you had in high school, like playing in a drum line in a, you know, in a Southern style marching band, um, did that stay with you afterwards? Yeah, man. My my school was um we did uh like core style marching. Mm-hmm. And so like living in Chicago primarily my whole life, there's a bunch of great like drum set players in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um like, you know, it's, I can name a bunch of dudes that are just like, you know, the dudes that are out there today. Right? So then when I, when I lived in South Carolina, it was much more about classical percussion much more about like just being super tight Mm -hmm. and just like reading and like developing your chops and like in a different way. Right. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a big influence on me because it opened me up to like another side of drumming. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was used to like seeing all the, like the church dudes or the jazz dudes, right. Like smash, but then like I I met some dudes that could really play marimba or I met some dudes that could really play, like snare drum, mm-hmm. like for real. Yeah. Right. So, so then that, that was like, okay, well I need to get that together also. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I like add that to my, my arsenal. Yeah. So yeah. 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 I had the same experience, like playing classical music, um, kind of opened me up to, uh, 
just more more minimalist playing, right? And just making right. making one note the best it can be, making that one note sing. Um, Definitely. And yeah, I, I I know what you mean about translating that to the drum set. Um, yeah. Uh, so d- did you um, return to Chicago like immediately after high school? Man, I actually I I returned like the beginning of my junior year. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, I came, I came back and, um, yeah, basically finished high school here. And then I wasn't really playing a bunch. I was just more so like hanging out. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, one summer I was like, man, I need to, you know, get my life together type of vibe. (laughs) (laughs) So then I, I, I enrolled back in, in college at, uh, it's an art school here called Columbia college. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sort of like an open enrollment vibe, but it's like a legit art school. Yeah. So I enrolled and uh, I was living in the suburbs at the time. I moved back into the city and basically picked up music and I, I haven't put it down since. Yeah. 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 But is that did you get a degree from that college? I, no, I ended up. Uh, so it was funny. I ended up. Coming back to going, moving back to the city, I went to Columbia for maybe two years. Um, I got into a band that was sort of touring a little bit and making records. Mm-hmm. And then I also got an internship with a DJ and a music producer, this guy named Mike Dunn. He's like a, a house DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made he makes like a bunch, like a few house hits. Right. He still DJs now, but he had a he had a deal with a bad boy. Uh, with uh, Puff Daddy or whatever. Uh-huh. And so he had this like crazy studio uh, in downtown Chicago, like in the West Loop. And so I knew his manager and he hooked me up with him. So he taught me a lot about engineering and pro- production. And I was touring with the band and like playing drums like on the weekend. So I was just like, well, I don't need to go to school no yeah, more. Yeah, who needs yeah. school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I didn't, I stopped going. Um, but then I did go back. Uh, like a few years later, and then I got I got my undergrad from UIC, um, okay. and then my master's I just finished that up at DePaul. Oh wow, nice! Yeah, cool. cool. So that's DePaul is like a heavy jazz program, right? Yeah, yeah, man. The cool thing about DePaul is um, they have a new the new head of the jazz department is a drummer. Uh, it's a cat named Dana Hall. Oh yeah, so yeah, he, yeah. So he's sort of like revamping it. And, uh, you know, bringing his energy to it. But the cool thing about DePaul is they make you play. Like, uh-huh. they, they don't put you in, like, you know, one or two combos. You don't play in a big band. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, they're going to make you play, make you read. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I've talked to uh, a few guys who, you know, went to schools like um, uh, Berkeley or, you know, North Texas or, or Manhattan School of Music. And it's, it's that kind of environment where... Um, you know, in within within the framework of the classes and the groups and the stuff at school, you're playing a bunch. But then outside, you're you're playing a bunch too. It's just like you can play twenty four seven if you want because cats yeah. get together in in their dorms, at their houses, like in the studios, just outside of school, just get together and play. Yeah. So, like the cool thing about like my situation was I was doing all that playing in school, but I, I was still very much a professional like musician. I, I still had a gig every. I had a regular gig on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and wow. then I would play different ones on Saturdays. I played at church on Sundays. My only two like 
off day was like uh, Monday and Tuesday, mm-hmm. but I still had rehearsals in school on those days. So like my two years in grad school, bro, I was playing drums every day. Yeah. Yeah. Day, so it was day. all day, every day. <laughs> so it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And what, what year was that that you, that you did the master's? Um, I just finished it like a year ago. Oh man. Around it. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm married and I got kids. And so it was a real task. <laughs> yeah, man, I would imagine. You know, that's, that's interesting We've because we've talked to, obviously, a bunch of people who went to school, got master's degrees, and, and, and a bunch of people who either started school and never finished or never even messed with it at all. Um, but I, I, I don't think I've talked to somebody who went back to school, you know, after being pro for a while, um, especially somebody with, like, a you know, wife and family. Um, how, how was that? Was it, <laughs> was it um, insane? Yeah, it was, but it was, um, I felt it was important just, um, for me personally, like I had a lot of education from just playing and like being with people and like, you know, when I got that internship and I was sort of touring a little bit with that group when I was like 18 or 19, that was like some real world experience. Mm-hmm. So for me, like going back to get the education was more so about filling in the gaps of uh, like my knowledge of things that I couldn't acquire just from being in the world, per se. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, it was important for me um, for that reason, uh, mm-hmm. just to really just try to broaden uh, my thinking about music and about like how people, uh, you know, the cultural aspects around music and just how like a, just a generally how it's uh perceived and learned and then all the things you learn from managing your schedule to uh you know writing uh papers and just being able to write and express yourself in that way yeah yeah um yeah what, so that's that yeah so what what gaps or, or deficiencies in in your approach to music uh do you feel going back to school filled for you so I was never like when I started playing, I started playing by ear. Mm-hmm. Like I could play a little bit of piano and like guitar and stuff. And uh, so I could sit down basically and hear something on the radio and just play it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, like undergrad, going to like music theory classes and ear training, I was able to put a name to like, say, um, a major seven chord. Right. right, right. I, could, I, could, I knew what that was, per se. You knew what like, you knew what that sound was, like you knew how to find uh, yeah. the sound, right? But you yeah, so then I didn't, yeah, I didn't know, yeah, what to call it. So that's just like a one of the things initially, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, that's what undergrad was really about, like just that thing, and then just learning from uh, my teacher in undergrad was this guy named uh, Ernie Adams. Uh, he's like a, a local Chicago dude, but he plays like funk he plays jazz he's he's like all over the place he plays mm-hmm. with a dj every week and so to study with him uh that was also why i wanted to go back um just to study with somebody like that a world-class guy yeah yeah uh who could give me i mean he put me on some gigs and like g- gave me some chances with some like professional some professional stuff so like um yeah so that was part of the reason and then in grad school i studied composition oh cool um yeah so it was that was I really wanted to learn how to write for like a big band mm-hmm. and just like understand jazz theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I can play a little keys or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just really, 
it's really I just wanted to have as many tools as I could to do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the, uh, you know, changes in in how you think about like the the cultural and historical aspects of music. Like, how did how did that change for you? Um, I think just being aware uh, of like, you know, like in jazz in particular, just what was going on like when people were when the music was forming mm-hmm. and how much like civil rights or like, you know, whatever was happening, mm-hmm. Jim Crow or whatever was influencing the music, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. why, why in Harlem, you know, in the 1930s and forties was, you know, why did, why did they come up with bebop? Mm-hmm. And like, what does that really mean? So, or even like in, in the seventies, like 1970s, uh, early eighties with hip hop, you know, um, when they tore down the projects and built that, built the expressway, how does that influence the music? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that was that's important mm-hmm. as we like move forward, especially as in like jazz and hip hop and just how they are sort of coming together at this moment um, and like what that means mm-hmm. uh, and how the like, you know, how people's just everyday life influence music. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why did they create bebop? Uh from my understanding, they 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 wanted uh, a harder language, uh, just because like um, you know in the 1920s the big band was popping, mm-hmm. so everybody could play a big band gig, right? You know you could be like an average player and get in somebody's big band and work, mm-hmm. but you couldn't play bebop just being an average Joe. Right. You actually had to like put some time into like learning the language and like you know you have to be proficient on your instrument and you have to like know how to play. Right. Right. So that, that was the, the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. From my understanding, like, you know, we gonna we gonna make something that just every, any, you know, joker with a horn can't play. Right. And I, it also was, I think had to do with the audiences too, because they, they said, we want to play something that not just any Joe Schmo can understand. <laughs> Right. Kind of so like yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't to, about like dancing. Right. Anymore. Right. They wanted yeah, to yeah. challenge audiences to to uh, get get hip to like a higher art form. Yeah. Yeah. And then even even like the rhythm section, how the instruments interacted was different because, you know, the drummer typically just was keeping time, making people dance like right. in big band. Right. But when it came to the bebop, it was like, OK, now we have a conversation. You know, right. now now I can say something. You can say something to me and it's an open dialogue. Right. Right. And it was, it was, uh, not just about like the, the interaction, but about the tempo, like, Oh, that <laughs> you know, too. Yeah. Bird, Bird, yeah. And, Bird and Diz said, we're going to play a swing tune at 300 BPM and y'all motherfuckers can't dance to 300 BPM. <laughs> right. So yeah, you're definitely going to sit down and listen to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. So yeah, just, just, you know, having that and then having discussions with, other people that are different from me. So that, I think that's a big thing about school too. I mean, it's cool. Like you can learn how to play or do whatever, never go to school and be great. I mm-hmm. mean, we know a bunch of musicians that did that, Right. but being able to like, uh, you know, have a, a class of maybe like 20 people and just have a discussion about, about that. And, you know, everybody's coming from a different place. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just opens your, your mind to how different people think. I noticed in, in your in your bio, like on your on your website, you mentioned how your your listening changed in in high school and like in your late teen years, because uh, you you know you were you were in kind of the hip hop 
vein. Um, but it seems like in high school it blew wide open and you talk about Metallica and Dave Matthews band and, um, who am I missing? There was some, like some great pocket stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Like rage. I, I listened to rage against the machine in high school, but I mean, yeah. I, I've always been like, uh, like my parents always played James Brown. Like yeah, that was, right. that was, that's the go-to. Like when I think of my childhood, um, man, <laughs> giving up food for funk and like all those James Brown records mm-hmm. that was happening. Like Boz Skaggs was happening, uh-huh. average white band, you know, and, uh, but then I had a cousin, my cousin is probably, I want to say he's like 10 years older than me, maybe 15. Um, and he, he was in the DOS effects and like all the hip hop stuff, LL Cool J, right, you know, when I was right. a kid. Yeah. And then when I moved to South Carolina, you know, I moved basically, I was in the, just a, a whole new environment, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's in the South and yeah. then in the South in the suburbs where, you know, it's sort of affluent people, you know, that's when I got into like rage and rage and like Metallica uh-huh. and Dave, Dave Matthews was the first, actually, actually the first concert I ever went to. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. One of my dad's friends, um, was like, Hey man, I'm going to this concert. I just, just want to go. And I was just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Whatever. And so we went and saw Dave Matthews and like uh, Carter Buford. You yeah, know? He was like, yeah. I was like, man. He's been he's this... been one of my guys for so long. Like he gets a bad rap from some drummers and some musicians. Uh, but he's he's just one of my favorites, man. I love him. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was cool. Oh, my only thing, like I love Carter too. I just, when I really got into Dennis Chambers. Right. I was like, man, this is where he got all the stuff from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but Carter's, yeah. Carter's my dude, though. So, like, yeah. when, when you went to see that concert, did you know what you were going to see? Like, were you hip to Dave Matthews, or? Man, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, for, I don't think so. I'm, I'm really, I can't remember if somebody gave me a Dave Matthews CD before, and then the concert opportunity came, and I was like, cool. Or the con- I went to the concert, and then, like, Somebody told me about Dave after, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I ended up I ended up like getting a bunch of his CDs, mm-hmm. and uh, that's sort of where my interest in playing guitar uh, sort of started. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, because he's you know he's a guitarist, and that's how he writes his songs. Right. So yeah, right, right. Um, so uh, draw the draw the line between two points. Like you're 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 out of high school, you're starting to gig around. Um, uh, like fill in fill in the gaps from from then to when you went to grad school. Um, how did you work your way into the into the professional scene in Chicago? What were your first steps? Who were your first kind of allies? Right. So when I once I finished high school and uh, I was basically hanging out for a minute, I was living in the suburbs and I moved back to the city. And uh, my first group was this band called Trio Logic. Um, and it's a hip hop band. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I, you know, I'm a hip hop guy. So, you know, that was my first group and we would gig, dude, like we'd be gigged in the city. We toured, you know, van tours, you know, mm-hmm. van and trailer vibe. Right. Right. So through that, through that band, um, I began to meet a lot of cats like on the scene in Chicago. And so like, you know, um, one of my good buddies still to this day was a drummer, um, for a band and we saw always do shows together. 
So it's like through that, I, I, I began to meet people. And then just like those, just doing that band, um, sort of got me on the scene. Then once I was on the scene, it just just started to, you know, ruminate or whatever. Yeah. And then going going back to college, um, that was that was cool too, right? Because I I got to sort of once I started playing gigs um, for like with older cats, then that sort of started to take off, you know. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. How like when when you first start out, it's it's guys your age. Um, but then if, if you get some traction, like the, the older generation start noticing you like, Hey, this kid can play. And then yeah. you have a whole new Rolodex of people, your parents age or older. Um, yeah. And hit might, you up. Right. Right. And it's, yeah. it's, it might not be like, you know, the, the, the kind of shit you were playing with, with your friends. It's more, right. more mainstream, but more money. Um, yeah. You know, establish acts. Right. And then, then like, you know, you might be on the gig and then somebody on that gig might like you. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be like, oh, well, you know, what you doing next Saturday? Mm-hmm. Kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's sort of how it all sort of happened. Just yeah. um, like word of mouth and then just, you know, honestly, man, like perseverance to be like just, just truthful. Um, you know, because sometimes... Like now, you know, I've I've had some pretty good opportunities this year. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, man, just like, you know, saying yes to things that you, you know, it's like a $50 gig at a bar. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten so like situations out of like just saying, yeah, even though like the, the, the business I might not be what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, all right, cool. I could play with some cats and make some cool music. And you know, it's a Tuesday, you know, so <laughs> right. I'm going to go do it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so like, I've honestly, over the past year, I just, you know, say yes to things. And if, even if I'm tired or whatever, mm-hmm. and then end up getting situations out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The, uh, a friend of mine in LA uh, always said, you know, a gig, there, there are three potential positives on a gig good money good music or a good hang and you got to hit two out of three yeah <laughs> yeah that's real so that's on, yeah yeah on a tuesday night if you can if you can go hit two out of three somewhere then um yeah i'm there i'm yeah. there <laughs> yeah so it sounds like you know we've, we've talked a lot on the podcast about like working your way into a scene um if you're if you're at the beginning of your career just starting out or if you're new to a city um, and we talk a lot about just being out, like going to see gigs, going to jam sessions, just showing your face everywhere all the time as much as possible. Um, but it sounds like you were able to do that just through playing. Like, did you, ha- did you have to go hustle? Did you have to go show your face at people's gigs and all that? Or, or was it more organic just through your playing? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So like when I started out, when I was playing with that band, I basically, only play with them, right? Mm-hmm. I would, I would basically, we would have shows on the weekend. I would shed all week and uh, play with them. Um, but then it started. I yeah, I did have to go out. Um, I'm not necessarily the biggest like jam session guy. Uh-huh. Um, like I, I do it now because uh, I, I mean, I feel I know what I'm what I'm doing per se, or I feel more confident. <laughs> right. I should say right. 
Uh, so I don't care. I just go to a session and, and play. Um, but you know, Chicago, honestly, in the jazz scene when I was like younger, they would like vibe people. Like <laughs> if you if you were if you were like you know nineteen and couldn't swing, yeah, like everybody in the joint was laughing at you instead of like encouraging you or trying to show you how to get better. Really, right? Yeah, that's man. I mean, that's yeah. that's some old school shit. But you're not an old guy. How long ago was that? Oh, this. I mean, this. It's, it's still like can happen a little, but now really, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So that that turned me off from going to jam sessions. Yeah, so that's I, why I, I would imagine like, so, man. Yeah. Screw you, dudes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I spent I spent seven years in Kansas City. I went to grad school there, um, and uh, you know, I was I was kind of nervous about that because I knew Kansas City was you know had such a great jazz tradition, and and I'm, I'm sure that used to happen back in the day. But my experience was quite the opposite. Like every, you know, everybody's supportive, you know, nobody, nobody vibed you. There was none of that. I'm surprised to hear that that happened anywhere, uh, in, in the last 10 or 20 years, man, I'm going to tell you, man, it's, it's, I'm not going to name the place because it's a known <laughs> place in Chicago, but it's right now this week, you could come here and go to this place on a Sunday night. I'll uh-huh. say that uh-huh. and get vibe. <laughs> man. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, so it sort of, it, it can push you either way. Like when I was younger, it sort of deterred me from going, mm-hmm. but now it's like, okay, I'm going to go. Like, I'm, I want you to vibe me or like try right. to vibe me or whatever. I'm ready. Right. You know, like, you know, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, for me, um, yeah, jams, I mean, jam sessions are cool, but it was more f- so from playing with established groups, like when I'm comfortable Personally, I play way better. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody does, but mm-hmm. like, so yeah. And then I would, I played in a few different bands. Um, and then in Chicago, there's a bunch of like different scenes, right? So if, if, we, if I'm honest, it's still like uh, slightly segregated, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we had, it's a north side and the south side. And, uh, you know, you, the jam sessions are different on the north side. You know, uh-huh. jam sessions are different on the south side. Uh-huh. Uh, so this that's, is something, that's this is something I wanted to ask you about because it's it's specific to Chicago. But you know, on the podcast, we've also talked about uh, race as it pertains to music and and the music scenes in different cities. Um, so you know, the the Chicago divide is is both racial and geographical, right? As far as north side, south side. Yeah. So yeah. So like t- typically, and so the but the divide is it's linked, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, if black black people live on the south side, quote right. unquote, uh-huh. and north people live on the white. Non white people live on the north side. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's yeah. So it's so, and you know Chicago is a segregated town like that. Mm-hmm. Typically, like you know the, the Polish people have a neighborhood per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Puerto Ricans have a neighborhood per yeah. se. Chinese people have a neighborhood per se, yeah. right? Yeah. Italians, they got a neighborhood. You know, it just goes down the line, right? Um, so yeah, that does uh, unfortunately creep into the just the natural, uh, you know, gatherings, yeah, of of people, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, if you live on the south side, you might not necessarily want to go all the way up north to go to a gym session right. or vice versa. You might live on the North side and think, Oh, it's scary on the South side. I'm not going mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I'm not that guy. 
Um, I, I go to, to all of them. Like, you know, I, I make it a point being in the city to hang out with whoever. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can play music and you cool and you genuine, I'm down. Right. You know what I'm saying? This, I don't care. You know. Yeah, yeah. I watched I watched a bunch of videos of, of you playing different groups, different gigs, and it, it looked like on a lot of them there was there was like a good mix. It didn't seem to be, you know, like you're you're playing with an all black group and then in the next video you're the only black dude in the white group. It's like all the videos seem to have a good mix of folks. Yeah, man, that's I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's yeah, that's I tried to to be conscious of that just because it's a, you know this could be a tough tough town on in that aspect mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. yeah. i i know chicago does have kind of a history and a reputation of of racial tension over the decades right yeah it's it's not even necessarily like it's subliminal here right mm-hmm. so like i feel like in the south um, when somebody doesn't like you based on your race, mm-hmm. you know it's not like a it's not a question. It's like, oh, he doesn't like me. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> but here, you know, it's it's sort of like you don't really know. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they saying, you know, they yelling at you. You know, like right. uh, expletives. Right. It's more so like, oh yeah, we cool, but you know, I would never invite you to my house or, you know, that kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little more hidden. Mm-hmm. There's a facade here. Yeah, but then the way the town is set up, um, you know, like I said, generally black people are associated with living on the south side, right? And north people, the north side is like white, right? Right. And then the west, the west side could be mixed, but depending on how far you go, it'll be black or Puerto Rican or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that it's more subliminal, but yeah, it's definitely a part of the fabric in in the city. And is that a conscious um, choice that you made to to kind of not subscribe to to that segregation, or is it just how it shook out? Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, when I was younger, like I lived, it was predominantly black, right? Mm-hmm. Just because of the geographic of where I live. You, you but then when I live outside, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a, yeah, most of my family still lives on the south side mm-hmm. who live in Chicago. But then when I went to live with my dad in uh, South Carolina, it was very the opposite. I was like, it was very dominantly white, mm-hmm. right? And so some of my best friends in high school, guys that I call today, are white. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they, these dudes are like my brothers. Yeah. Um, so when I came back to the city, I just was... Um, I could, I'm not, I can't really, I don't have that in my heart per se. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not like, you know, I'm open to people. I can't say like, oh, white people are this or white people are that. When they, you know, I have, I have great white friends mm-hmm. and I have like, I, it was a, a family that I stayed with a bunch of, like when my dad was working uh, down South and these people, you know, loved me like I was their son, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, it was very real. So yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, you know, if I'm, I don't carry that in my heart. So, yeah, it's, it is conscious, but it's, it's very, like, a part of who I am just because, I mean, then, like, being a musician, you travel a lot and mm-hmm. you go to different places. Yeah. And so you have to be open to whatever. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, that's, like, part of the gig, mm-hmm. right? You know, you might land and go to Italy or wherever. And um, 
just live. You know, it's not, you know, enjoy the food, enjoy the culture, and yeah. go home. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's conscious, but it's more so just, like, I guess it's a part of, like, who I am. Yeah, I, and I would imagine, do you, do you feel like you've gotten more work or better work or, or different work than you would have otherwise? Yeah, I think that having an open mind is um, is very important to um, work and just living, right? If if you say if you keep yourself in a box, then you know you're gonna stay inside that box. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being open to you know, like I said, driving to the north side. I live in like now. I live in the suburbs on the south side. So. Mm-hmm. And most of my gigs are either downtown or up north. Mm-hmm. So I have to be open just to, you know, to take that $50 gig on Wednesday, like on the north side. Right. You know, you, that's that's a commitment yeah. to drive that far and play some music, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, so I, I lived, yeah. it's the same thing in L.A. I lived in L.A. for five years. And, and like you were saying, how everybody has their neighborhood. Like, it's yeah. it's, it's very much that way in L.A. Um and yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's daunting to think about like driving across town to another neighborhood, like just for little or no money. Um, but, uh, but ultimately it, you know, it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, then those people that know that you live way far that called you for the gig, right. And you show, you show up on time, you do what you do when they have a situation that may pay 500 instead of 50, they know that you will come and handle your business and they'll call you for it. Yep. You know, so that's where I'm at. Regardless you know, of like, where you live, like you showed right. up, you showed up to the thing. They don't care where you live. Yeah. I didn't, you know, and yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, being open and just delivering that's, that will help you grow your business. Yeah. Yeah. And be, you know, being cool, and like you know, being on time, and uh, knowing all the music, you know, all those things are important. Yeah, right? yeah. When when you were coming up as as a young drummer, were there um, were there bands or venues or individuals that that really influenced you that you looked up to? Like you would go to see music at a certain place and be like, I want to play here someday, or like I'm just looking for kind of the quintessential Chicago people and places that, that you were looking at, like, I want to do that. I want to be there. All right. So, um, yeah. Uh, when I first, when I was like 19 and I was like on the scene trying to figure it out, I went to this place. It was called, um, man, it's closed now. It's called green dolphin, mm-hmm. the green dolphin, right? It's the singer from Chicago. Her name is, uh, Teresa Griffin. And, uh, the drummer was this guy. He passed away recently. His name was James Knowles. Hmm. I mean, this cat, he made his own drums. He was like that kind of guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, he made his drums. He, I mean, he had a deal with like saving. So he didn't, you know, he got cymbals. But when I heard him play drums, I was like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it's another guy. Uh, his name is Kahari Parker. He's, he's still around. He actually plays, um, he plays with George Benson and like I've heard that name. I think I think Ed Breckenfeld mentioned him in our yeah. yeah. So like he, he he would play at different spots around town. Um, he actually the guy that I went out of town with this past weekend. He's that's his drummer, mm-hmm. and he they would play at the spot called the Back Room. It was like in uh, the Gold Coast downtown, and they would play like at 
a few different spots that's closed, but he he's like one of my guys too. Um, yeah. I'm on a I'm on a like two records that he's on. Oh, like, cool. Yeah, so like you know, coming up, like watching him, you know, because he he's like a groove dude. Uh, his touch is like outstanding, mm-hmm. and uh, just the, I've I've seen him like the same band with a different drummer, and like it sounds totally different, mm-hmm. you know. And then when I see him play with that same band, it's like. You know, he just pulls it, pulls everybody together magically <laughs> somehow. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So he, like going to see him, uh, I'm still very inspired by him. Um, but it, he would play at different places. I'm blanking on names. Sorry. That's all right. And then um, the third one would be Dana Hall, uh, mm-hmm. the guy I ended up studying with at DePaul. He would play every week at Pete Miller's. This is Steakhouse up in the north suburbs. I would I worked up there. And uh, I would teach lessons. Then, like, on a Monday or Tuesday, he played with this guy named uh, Ron Perillo. He's a a pianist, Mm -hmm. his trio. And uh, Ron Perillo is like, um, you know, you ever listen to Robert Glasper? Mm -hmm. So that, that, like, type of energy, uh, but very uh, entrenched in bebop and, like, He's just amazing, right? He was the first guy that I think I heard live play piano in that, like, just very lyrical, very groovy uh, way. Uh, but yeah. Daniel, they would they play every Monday at this place called Pete Miller's. So I would go see that, like, that that trio mm-hmm. every week. Is Daniel so, like, Hall a Chicago guy? Like, is, is, is he from there, or did he just end up there at some point? Yeah, he ended up here. He's from Brooklyn. Okay. Um, he, well, he was born in Brooklyn. I, I want to say he lived in like Philly for a while. I think but he's that's been. Right. Yeah, he's been here. F- I mean, since I've since I've been on scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but he's he's. Um, I would say he he was probably my best teacher as far as like um, just being a real drum educator and being very. You know, he's the type of dude that. We'll listen to a recording of a solo and be like, so what do you think the sticking is? It's like, I don't know, man. I can't see his hands. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But what does it sound? What does it sound like? You know, so he's very like detailed, a very mm-hmm. detailed listener and can recall re- recordings and like, you know, sounds and like he's just very deep. Um, but, yeah, I would go see him like every Monday. Yeah. And he's, he's just swinging, you know what I'm saying? Just be, you know, real aggressive on the bebop tip. Right. right. So a few, a few spots now, uh, Andy's jazz club is downtown. Uh, the jazz showcase obviously has been around forever. Right. Like, uh, I would, you know, go see, um, I saw, you know, like Willie Jones playing with Roy Hargrove, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's a, a spot, you know, just to go see cats, whoever's in town. Man, talk about aggressive on the bebop tip, fucking Willie Jones. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, Chicago is cool. I mean, we have like different rooms. Uh, Green Mill is different... still there, right? Yeah, the Green Mill. Yeah, so like, I wasn't going up there like as a kid, but I, I definitely would go up there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because they get they get acts in uh, yeah. that are you know high 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 quality. Yeah. Um, so I make it up there when I you know when they got some dope going on. Have you come in contact with like the Chicago blues scene, the Chicago blues tradition at all? Yeah, man. Actually, um, 
Yeah, so that's like a whole nother group of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've played at a few of the blue spots, but it's not like, it's not my bag, mm-hmm. you know? I've come in contact with them. Like, I've, I've come, I've played with some of like the, the Dale Mark recording guys, mm-hmm. the guitarist, and they, you know, hit me to like, oh, you know, this is a Texas shuffle. This is this kind of shuffle. Right, you know? right. <laughs> the great shuffle debate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I've played like with uh, this guy named Toronzo Cannon. He's a guitarist from here. It's like a like a newer blues guy, um, but it's not like I don't pursue that per mm-hmm. se. Yeah. If somebody hit me up and be like, "Yo, you want to come play at you know Blues on Halsted or whatever, whatever these clubs, you know Kingston Mines," I'm down. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm not going to blues jams and like. I'm not on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the vibing, and I think it's it's you know it's just as prevalent at at blues jams. Um, I interviewed a, a, a drummer named Jan Faircloth, who's a friend of mine from Kansas City. You know, and he's he's in like the blues scene in Kansas City, and, and yeah. he you know he talked about the blues police, and I was like, oh. wait a minute, there's there's he's like I was like there's jazz police, there's you mean there's blues police too? He was like, oh yeah, there. Are- <laughs> Oh yeah, they are out in full force. The jazz police, man. I I try to stay away from those guys, man. It's it's, that's it's rough. It can be, (laughs) it can be rough. Yeah, yeah, man. So yeah, I mean, um, Chicago also has like so. The cool thing about Chicago is there is blues. Um, that's the scene, and then typically the the jazz. That's the scene, Mm -hmm. and uh, we have like we call it jobbing but it's like uh corporate parties. Yeah. Yeah. That's the scene. Mm-hmm. And then, um, there's like, you know, you could play church. Church right. is a scene yeah. here. Yeah, like yeah. some dudes that are, are some monsters. You would never see them play in the club in Atlanta too. Same in Atlanta. Yeah. So it's just straight church every Sunday day, you know, which is cool. Um, but that's the scene. And then we have like, you know, it's the reggae is sort of, happening and then like the underground hip-hop stuff is definitely happening mm-hmm. and then we have like the the salsa and merengue bands right that's yeah. that's here too you know what i'm saying yeah 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 so you could go you could go check that out on wednesday night you know so, so how, yeah how easy is it to like if if you want to be if you as a drummer want to be involved in a few of those scenes how easy is it to to sort of penetrate and and float between a few different scenes um, I think you got to be open, uh, mm-hmm. just like I was saying, just to hang out with people that whoever, mm-hmm. um, that's like the first part. And then just, you know, if you could play the language, you know, if you undeniable, you know, the stuff, mm-hmm. you know, then people will call you, you right. know, like, um, yeah. So it's, it's really just about being open. And, it's, and so it's a lot of, is there's a lot of clicks here and like a lot of people who just hang out with their, their friends. Well, that's, that's kind cool. of what I'm asking is like, you, you can be as open as you want, but are, are those circles open as well? Or are they looking for just thoroughbreds like them who are only into that music? You know, I, 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 I could say it's possible, it's possible that they are looking for that. Um, I, since I don't really care, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like, I don't even like get caught up in it. Right. right. So I've, I've played some gigs with the jazz police, uh, recently mm-hmm. and like the, you know, they was like sort of vibing one of the people in the band. And I was just like, man, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just said it aloud, like 
to the guy that they was vibing like, hey, I was like, hey, man, I'm cool. I ain't the jazz police. Say what you're going to play. You know, we're going to make it through this gig, and that's going to be that. It's, yeah. It is. It is yeah. what it is. So I think just not not caring, I guess. And, and like I said, if you, if you know how to play the music, then that's like, that will trump everything. They right. could say what they want to say about you. But if you could sit down and groove, groove somebody under the table, it, who cares if I like listening to, you know, Metallica? Or, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah. But it, there's definitely, you know, I know people get so caught up in just like what they perceive the music to be and what they think it should be. Mm-hmm. And they try to project that on people. I think just being secure, like with who you are and knowing what you can do. Yeah. Then it's like, I don't, you know, it don't matter. Right. Like, you know, we, and this is, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before with, with a couple of different players about like being able to, to translate your voice on the drums to, to different styles and different genres. And it's, it's not about, um, you know, I, I think we, we tend to want to um, appropriate other language and try to, you know, imitate, uh, you know, one of the, one of the drummers who's known for that style or whatever. Um, yeah. Where I, I think we're, we're better served. Like we feel better, we sound better and we come off better. If, if we find a way to know what our voice on the drums is, know what our approach is, um, and what it's not, and and just try to bring that to to jazz or to R and B or to Latin music or to whatever. Like, there's a way that you can kind of bring your sensibility and your voice to a lot of different things without just parroting other players. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that uh, the key with uh, like learning the language is just that. So, like, you know, if you know that you could sound like Tony Williams, like in a nineteen 19- whatever era mm-hmm. and you had, you know, you know, you could play the Roy Haynes, uh, you know, five off whatever record, mm-hmm. then that's cool. You know that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I, I think that being able to play those things is key to like, you know, playing the, to the music. Um, but you also have to be you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of like, um, I, I guess I could equate it to, reading uh books to expand your vocabulary yeah right? we, we can read a bunch of books about a lot of things and learn uh how to write or how to say things mm-hmm. uh, but then at the end of the day we still have to sit down and have conversations uh that are organic in the moment right, right? like expanding your vocabulary doesn't doesn't change what you want to express it just changes the words you use to express it Right. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it like like we're having this conversation right now. It would be weird if I started talking like, a, uh, you know, like I was reading a, a, a romantic era novel right. or like a old English or something. Right. Right. It just would be like, what are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned teaching. You're, you're doing some teaching. And I saw uh, somewhere online about the, this all city thing. Yeah, so Chicago, um, the public schools have like all city jazz. We have all city, all types of bands. Um, I've been working for the past like four years. They have a new music ensemble, um, which is basically students write their own music Mm -hmm. and we like sort of produce it for them and like they play. And then they have like the jazz and like, you know, 
wind, wind ensemble and orchestra and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I've been working with um, All City for like four years, doing new music for the whole time. I've been doing the jazz band probably for three years, mm-hmm. two or two or three years. So, yeah. How old are so those kids? Man, I, the youngest kid I have um, is probably in seventh grade. Okay. So like middle school, yeah. high school kids? Yeah. So like, you know, we, tr- we try to keep it open. Um, you know, if they can play, then we encourage them to play uh, as far as the younger. So I have a, a kid that's like maybe, yeah, seventh grade, he plays Barry, right? Mm-hmm. But he can play, he can play the Barry yeah. and uh, he's enthusiastic about learning and enthusiastic about like, he's open. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, of course you can play in the big band. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah. So it's like from about seventh grade to I have seniors in high school. You run also. a big band for these kids? Yeah, Whoa. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, it's cool, man. It's um, yeah, the big band is cool, and then like the the new music ensemble I do is basically like the same age group, uh, but it's kids that like want to be songwriters and mm-hmm. like producers, and so we basically just um coach them on like. They bring in a song like we. I'm working on a song with with uh, one of the singers now, and she basically came in with all the lyrics and like most of the melodies, and I just listened to her sing and like start playing the like the harmony and mm-hmm. you know, and we have a uh, a few drummers and like so yeah, yeah we basically just help them write their songs. Yeah, know? man, that's really cool. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a cool it's a cool situation. Um, to, to do that and just, just to be, you know, cause it keeps, it keeps me sort of aware of what's happening now. And, uh, you know, make, makes me stay up on my, like my harmony jazz yeah. writing mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing. And then it's, it's, you know, it's CPS. Um, so it's kids from all over the city. They, uh-huh. they bring in different experiences and, uh, so it's great. Um, and we we have a big performance at the end of the year every year at a big theater um, here in town called the Harris Theater, and so it's it's good to to see um, like a kid you know start out and be sort of you know hesitant and not really know what they want to do to see that develop yeah. over the course of like nine months and then right. at the end that that concert the culminating concert you know, the kid is up there rock, rocking it, you know, running across stage or, you know, taking the solo, standing up, being confident, <laughs> you know, and being bold. So that's, that's, that's a, it's a rewarding experience for me um, just to, to be a part of that. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah. you mentioned how like your, your college experience was kind of, uh, and, and your experience going to South Carolina was you're all of a sudden you're in contact with people different than you. Um, yeah, I think that's especially true in college. Like you, you you go to a college of a certain size, then you're in contact with people from all over the country, all over the world. Um, yeah, and you're making friends with people who are majoring in shit you don't even know about. Um, right, and so so these kids from all over Chicago are like already having that experience. Where like, oh, kid from the north side, kid from the south side, we're gonna play in a big band together. We're gonna write a song together. They're already having yeah. that experience. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's the great thing about it. Uh, because yeah, it's like when we start, so when we now until January, it's like regional. So we meet basically like sort of in your area where you live. Mm-hmm. Then in the spring, we'll all meet downtown and it's, it's huge. It's usually 
man, I want to say at least three or four hundred kids in the Holy program shit. total. Yeah. Wow. So they have they have a bunch of different groups. They like you could do dance, you could do theater, uh, orchestra, uh, band, jazz, and what I do they they called it alt. It's like alternatives to all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they just call it new music. So yeah, but it's it's great. Um, yeah, because then and we have to they have a show run of show and like uh it's like a real experience because they're in the real theater there right. has there's real text is real like you know load ins and it's real it's real mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, it's cool nice um what changes have you observed in in the chicago music scene over the over the time that you've been playing there for better or for worse for better the young the young dudes are just coming in just murdering (laughs) (laughs) you know it's you know i you know you play a random gig with some young cat and uh you know he might be playing like guitar on the gig and you know 10 minutes later you might hear him play some keys and it's like wow i just can't believe that is happening Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's the the best thing about chicago um is like you know man it's some talent Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, with just, programs, programs like the one you just talked about, it's I'm not surprised. You know, if you're yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it's that, and then it's, it's then it's those kids like some of the church kids, you know, who who have listened to like four or five generations of musicians from here. Yeah, and they they've been like soaking it in since they were two. You know, they, mm-hmm. their their dad might be a musician or a pastor or something, and so like all the all the cats have come through their church. And they've heard like all the great dudes since they was you know be, been able to walk. Yeah, yeah. And so now they they sit down and play drums or a piano, and it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is like you know amazing. Uh, so that's that's um, I would say that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, all these then, all like, these seeds that get planted in Chicago are finally coming up right now. Man, yeah, it's it's a it's a jam that happens on Sunday nights. It's, it's like an open jam. They don't they don't play any tunes, right? right. So the, the the gist of the jam is to play no covers. Like mm-hmm. we just you come in and it's truly a jam. Mm-hmm. Somebody will sit down and start playing the groove. Somebody will put the bass line to it. We we'll put some chords to it. Mm-hmm. They will come up with a horn line on the spot and then take some solos, right? Right. right. And so that that jam attracts all kind of people. The church yeah. dudes go to that jam. The jazz dudes go to that jam. Um, you know, the funk dudes or whatever. And so that's it's a great thing, right? Yeah. And uh yeah, so that's not, cool. Not to be confused with the Sunday night jam where you get vibed. Not to be confused <laughs> at all. <laughs> where where is hey, where is know, that, so, where is that jam that's the open jam that, that everybody shows up to? Yeah, this is called um oh, the Revel Room. That's all it's called the Revel Room. It's it's in uh Wicker Park, mm-hmm. uh which is like a community here. Um yeah. Rebel room, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a cool, it's a cool one. So yeah, that's that's yeah, that's sort of a new thing. I guess another good thing is some of the pros um that are playing with all these big people, um, or just even heavy like jazz dudes, they moved to New York and a lot of them are moving back mm. back home. So they, they establish themselves somewhere else, get the contacts they need, and then you know, it doesn't matter that they live in Chicago now because right. they people know them and they fly out anyway yep. um 
Yeah. There's a lot of cats like that in, in Atlanta. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more common. Like people don't feel the need to stay in New York or LA. Um, and some people don't need, don't feel the need to go there in the first place. They're like, there's, there's a good scene here. I've got contacts. People know me, you know, people in New York know me, people in LA know me. I don't have to live there. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's happening. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Looking at uh, current projects you got going on, um, just over the past few years, Chicago Afrobeat, uh, Stereo, yeah. Stereo Genius, Vertical. Um, this is the stuff that's uh, it's kind of your your flagship groups. Yeah, so Stereo Genius is my group. Mm-hmm. I write all the tunes and like arrange everything for it. Um, I'm actually working on a new record right now, just like writing wise. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's my group. Chicago Afrobeat, man, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, they have a um, we're doing a record release show next Saturday, the 16th. And um, so they did a, a recording with Tony Allen. Um, I don't know if you know Tony Allen. I've heard that name. I don't I'm not hip to it, though. Who is who is Tony Allen? Uh, he is. You ever heard of Fela Kuti? Yeah, yeah. He was Fela's drummer. Okay. So like he is the originator of like Afrobeat drumming. Right, right. Um, so they recorded a record with him. Um he came in town maybe like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to hang with Tony Allen. Um basically the whole time he was here, we we played drums in my buddy's basement mm-hmm. for like an hour. Wow. Um uh, I mean I don't you you have to go listen to the, this guy to to understand like what that means like right. this dude is he's probably like 76 now mm-hmm. and um man just like talking about pocket and yeah. just like feel right it's like ridiculous and i mean you know? when, when you mentioned fela kuti like I, i'm not hip to, to tony allen per se but i you know i'm hip to fela kuti and that drumming is just relentless man it's unstoppable yeah um, yeah, at age seventy six, it's it's still relentless. Man, he. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not not to sound like this, but this dude still like smokes and drinks whiskey every day. Yeah. kind of vibe. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like um, the clinic. It's a, it's a video while he was here, and he, as soon as he sits down and starts playing, it's just like you just start nodding your head just because. <laughs> Groove is so strong, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good project. I mean, as far as that's a, I played with the the percussionist in that group. His name is Donjon McGaskin. Mm-hmm. We actually got together last night and played just me and him 
for like an hour or two. Um, but that's that's a good group just as far as like keeping your, your chops together because it's, it's basically high energy grooving. Yeah. Like for for an hour and a half. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like, I, I mean, I, I I'm I, I'm I'm wore out after <laughs> after playing. Like you know, I've done shows with them like two sets, like three hours. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's you know it's a dance it's a dance party. Totally. Um, yeah. So it's it's cool. Um, that's a yeah. I love playing with the Afrobeat boys, but they, their record uh, just came out. Um, yeah, they're getting a lot of press for it right now, cool. and so that's cool. Uh, Vertical was like a, it's, it's like a one of those hodgepodge like jazz funk projects. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we haven't been playing any gigs lately. Um, but yeah, that that was a, like a mixture of like jazz dudes and like R and B dudes and. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's a dope project. Yeah, yeah. Also, cool. I'm trying to think what else I got going on. Oh man, I played. Uh, I've been playing with this young singer. Um, her name is Kyra. Um, we just played on Windy City Live, which is like a TV show here. I think it's regional on Tuesday. And uh, she's 16, amazing vocalist, like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I actually, um, I'm on her Christmas record. It came out, I think today wow. and, um, we have, we're doing an album release show with her for that album on next Friday. Oh, cool. So I have a, yeah, I have an album release Friday and Saturday, which Man, is great. Merry Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I play with this singer, uh, this Nigerian singer, her name is Ugochi. Huh. Um, and, uh, she, her, her music is like a mixture of African music uh, reggae and like R&B and so we're playing her album releases on uh, the 29th of this month mm-hmm. um, and we're doing this at this spot called The Wild Hair um, so yeah yeah man I, I, I stay pretty busy with her she does a lot of like she's got a world music kind of vibe but it's a lot of soul like a lot of R&B in, in that right. so that's right. cool it seems like a lot of Chicago music is is really infused with a lot of soul and R and B. Like Chicago blues is that way, um, and uh, you know you you mentioned all these different groups and and there's kind of a you know a few different ingredients in all of them. But you you mentioned like soul R and B in a lot of them. Yeah, man. It's um, it's uh, yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of um. I mean, this this. Honestly, man, it's a lot of gospel here. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it's a lot of R and B. Like it's a lot of singers. Yeah. Um, and just that vibe, you know. Um, just the R and B vibe is, is is you know the chords and yeah. So it's a lot of soul in mm-hmm. Chicago for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's it's interesting you mentioned a lot of singers because I think like certain certain towns gravitate to certain instruments or or, or vibes. Like I've I've interviewed a few drummers from New Orleans and New Orleans is just like a horn and drum town. <laughs> right horn players and drummers all over the place yeah um, but yeah chicago it's like a lot of singers a lot of yeah singers. and and rhythm section cats like mm-hmm. it's a it's a few a few of the like bigger uh you know rhythm sections are they come from here you know mm-hmm. so like dudes that play for like mary j blige or you know whoever you know right. what i'm saying it's a lot of it's a lot of a lot of that happening yeah like yeah. you know the, the dudes that's playing with the isley brothers right now they're from Chicago. Um, Are the Isley Brothers are still doing their thing? Man, bro, <laughs> they out here. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. 
Um, well, you mentioned uh, you got a, another record coming up for for uh, Stereo Genius, but what else? What else are you looking at for 2018? Um, um, that's that's. So I'm trying to put out a beat tape. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some production, and <clears throat> when I was in that um that hip hop band, that sort of got me into really making records, like for real, for real. Um, so I really want to put out a a beat tape uh, in the veins of like a like a Jay Dilla type of thing, mm-hmm. but in my own voice. But that's like the idea. Just uh just or like Stro Elliot or like Tall Black Guy. Um, just use instrumental bangers, you know. That's yeah. why I want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been working on that um, on and off um, for the past the past few months. Uh, I got my home like production room mm-hmm. sort of popping a little bit. Um, so that, and uh, I really want to do a, like a big serial genius record. I just I have an EP out now, um, but just really a full record. Um, I'm very inspired by uh, Nate Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that vibe, you know, he, I feel like he, I don't know if people really just research on him. He put a few records out, um, before this, this one. And I feel like on this one, he finally, you know, the budget was right and he captured his voice. You know what I'm saying? Like he was able to do his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very inspired by that record just because it's musical. I mean, it's very, it's odd odd meters It's grooving, grooving odd meters, but it's, you know, melodic It's um, you got some dope string arrangements on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, or I'm trying to do like that, that sort of thing. You know, I, I don't want to just do like a drummer's record. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm that kind of artist, you know, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm more into, into just music and I just really want to put that out. You it's, know? it's interesting when drummers put out records as, as leaders or like under their own name, a lot of times you expect it to be just full of drums and and it's it's not like a lot of drummers solo records are kind of more understated more melodic um you know more more collaborative it's it's not just an hour of fucking drums all over the place yeah drum show for 45 minutes right right you know i was sort of surprised um have you listened to that ronald bruner record Mm -mm. yeah you know who he is i do yeah yeah man if he put out a record, uh, I want to say in like April or February, and it's like crazy musical, just like he's singing on it, bro. It's like, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's the wave right now, man. Just um, just really just make music, right? Because uh-huh. the average person doesn't care about paradiddles or double bass or whatever. Right, they right. even want to have fun, you yeah. know. They want to listen to your tunes and groove. They want to know. know where one is. They want to know. They have to be. A, I, I I listened to uh, some of that Nate Smith stuff with some singers, and they was like, "Oh, it's giving me anxiety." Because <laughs> like the first, I think the first, this first or second song, it's like heavy odd meter, mm-hmm. like it's very apparent. Mm-hmm. And they was like, "Oh no, it's just too much." But then like a few songs later, where it's more subtle, you know, they it was more palatable for them. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's a. <laughs> That's a skill, man, to be able to construct, like, if, if you want to do something in odd meter, if you're hell-bent on playing a song in 7 or 11, you know, it's it's a hard thing and, and an admirable thing to to make it approachable for anybody. Like, you can, yeah. kind, of, you can kind of sneak 11 in on them, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but they don't yeah. know. Like, they're going to they're gonna know the lyrics. They're going to dig the melody. They're going to be grooving. They're going to know where the one is. 
And then you'll be like, yeah. the song's in 11. They're like, really? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm headed towards that direction. That's 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 what I would like to do. Yeah. So, um, but who knows, man? Um, I mean, I got a few things like brewing. Um, but, I, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I try to stay open. Yeah, yeah. How old are your kids? My oldest son uh, is ten. Oh man! And then my daughter is she's the middle. She's four, and then my youngest son is one. <sighs> well, 2018 yeah. is just going to be full of all kinds of kid stuff for you, man. <laughs> yes, I mean it's already it's been that way for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's a big um, part of my life right now too, man. Just. Um, my kids are getting older and so they have like a routine Mm -hmm. and so just being around to be, to facilitate that routine. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, that's, that's a job. Um, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm really just trying to streamline my, my work, uh, so that I, I could be the best dad that I can be. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's important to me also. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, that's another reason why I went back to school. Um, just to try to get, uh, you know, like academic opportunities mm-hmm. that I would necessarily not get if I didn't have that paper. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So the more the more uh, cash I could scoop up and, you know, with a focused effort, mm-hmm. <laughs> the better. Yeah. 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 And the more the more uh, stable income you got in, in January and February when all those. <laughs> yeah, gigs disappear. When the dry season yeah. is upon us. It's coming. Winter is coming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, man, thanks. Thanks so much for talking. I'm glad. I'm glad we could work the schedule out. Um, yeah, man. I, yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I was uh, when I saw your email. I was like, I'm definitely down. I'm I'm all the way with that. So I appreciate you hitting me up, brother. There you go, Chicago's own Justin Boyd. Like I said, check out episode 84 with Ed Breckenfeld to hear more about the Chicago scene, and I'm sure we'll be featuring more drummers from that great town in the future. You've heard me talk about our bonus content, which is our various interviewees listing their top five Desert Island records, and I gotta say, Justin's group of five was one of the most interesting and diverse that I've heard so far, so definitely check that out. Once again, you can access that bonus content by donating any amount to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash working drummer. Thanks as always to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Come on back next week for Matthew Krause's interview. Happy New Year and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.